Blog Talk Radio. Okay, we're having a problem with the sound, a little bit of a problem with the sound, so I just wanted to make sure that you could. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the show, and thank you for tuning in. 
I am your host, T. Love, here at Energy Awareness Radio and the founder and CEO of Soji Huggles Children's Foundation, a nonprofit dedicated to providing the basic necessities of life to underprivileged children. I'm also a board-certified integrated holistic health energy and sound therapist with a private practice in Sussex County, New Jersey, where Energy Awareness Radio streams to you live each and every week. Do you ever ask yourself questions about your life, questions that will bring about personal transformation so you can begin moving toward fulfillment of your soul and life purpose? And how do you answer the call of your spiritual self? Is it possible to nourish the soul while also meeting your material needs? And can conscious reflection on our lives help us attain the wisdom that will make life's journey a more pleasant one? Today's guest has, and he's here to share his story so you may perhaps change yours and find your own fulfillment. Carl Greer is a retired clinical psychologist and Jungian analyst, a businessman, and a shamanic practitioner, author, and philanthropist. He's the best-selling, award-winning author of Change Your Story, Change Your Life, and Change the Story of Your Health, and today he is here to discuss his recently launched book, The Necktie and the Jaguar, a memoir to help you change your story and find fulfillment. Welcome back to the show, Carl. You joined us in April of 2017, just over four years ago, to discuss Change the Story of Your Health. Thank you so much for taking time to join us here yet again at Energy Awareness Radio. How have you been? I have been well. Glad to be here again, T. And uh, I hope uh, your life has unfolded pretty well in the last four years as well. Sure, it has, and I think a lot of them have. I think the last year has been a little challenging for everybody, but it's unfolding in the way that it should. I always, I always believe that. It's, you know, yes. it's, it's how it's supposed to go. <laughs> so first, I very much like the title of your book, your memoir, The Necktie and the Jaguar. It drew me in as soon as I received the email, and as mm. I, I read it, I found it to be entertaining and enlightening, thought-provoking, and for me, it reflects a time when life seemed to be I want to say easier or perhaps maybe more appropriately would be the word innocent. And that may be because I see the world our children face today as scary everywhere. And, mm. you know, that's, that's a little much. But that aside, what was the catalyst to writing this book for you? Uh, I, I was at a stage in my life when I was uh, starting to just reflect on where I've been, where I'm going, and uh, thought I'd... Uh, just uh, just put some thoughts down about my life that I was going to share with my family and a few friends. And uh, as I got further into the project, I uh, thought about the other books that I've written where I've had questions for the, the reader. And uh, I thought, well, maybe it would be useful for others to think about the themes in my life and maybe it triggers thoughts about their own themes. And uh, so maybe the book could be useful in that way as well. So with those ingredients, I, over a couple of years, I wrote the book. Which is, it is an amazing story. It really is. I think anybody who reads it would, would find that. And, you know, I read all books from start to finish, so that includes any acknowledgments, foreword, dedications, note to the reader, of the preface, any and all, followed by the chapters. And on your book, I found your dedication to be, so profound you said to all who are consciously reflecting on their lives and making changes so their journey is more pleasing to them and spirit now most people would have stopped after the word them more pleasing to them 
But you added what I felt was both necessary and critical to all of our journeys, you added, and spirit. And that's a true reflection on the life and journey that, that you've been gifted, as well as an acknowledgement that you know, for me, you know that life is a gift and our gifts must be shared. So that's what I got out of the dedication alone. Am I close to what you were even intending? <laughs> Very much. Thank you for noting all that. That, uh, that was my intent. It was, it was a really good intention. I, I, I read that and I thought, wow, this is, this is going to be a very good book because I knew there was more coming that would follow along those lines. And, you know, the fact that um, each chapter – well, let me go back here. So as I began, and, and I started reading Chapter 1, A Boy in the Woods, and I was only on page 3, okay? It was just page 3 where you described a time you were in the woods when you came upon a stream and you were fascinated by the blackness of the water against the stark white of the snow, so much so that you stood in silence and awe. Now, you were just a little boy. I think you were five. And I felt this was a wow moment. And while I suspected something would happen, I thought it would be along the lines of a spiritual awakening of sorts, you know. And I I was actually very wrong because you continue by saying, Suddenly, a single glove floated by on the dark river, and my imagination and excitement were triggered. And you wondered, what if a body followed? And that's when I actually burst out laughing. So, first, you know, you were a little boy. Again, you were five years old, which just validated what I already knew. The brains of the male and the female of our species, and, and I'll go a step further and say I, I dare to go out on a limb here. All species is quite different from the, from the very beginning. It's not learned. We're born that way. My first thought, again, being female brain, when I read a single glove floated by, floated by and it was, it was a very quick thought that I had and later realized it was a very female thought as well, was, oh, no, whoever lost their glove is going to be in trouble when they get home. But after oh. I read, what if a body followed right then and there? I knew this is such a guy thing, and he's only five, I guess. <laughs> I know well, that it shows the power of imagination. Yeah. It certainly does. And you're five years old, and I'm like, he's only five. He couldn't possibly have read any Stephen King. Or how was he indoctrinated into this what if a body follows type of thing? You wondered about my upbringing <laughs> up until that time. I really did, because I thought, what was he reading, seeing, doing? You know, what, what was going on? That, you know, what was the world like? But I do sure. like your writing style, and albeit this was a rather, you know, long dissertation to say that to you, but the writing style is just that way. It's, it's just that way. It's so good that you, you, the unexpected is in the next sentence, and you don't read it, and you have a thought, and then you, and then you see what's written, and I just couldn't help it. I literally burst out laughing. It was, uh, it was great. Uh, uh. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but, uh Yeah. <laughs> I, I like that a lot. <laughs> but the fact that Good. each chapter ends with a reflection and questions for the reader so that they can contemplate their own life and, and learn how to make changes, you know, positive changes toward their own familiar uh, fulfillment. I didn't think a lot of memoirs did that. I rather like that style. And most of us just tell the story. And when the story is over, the reader puts the book on a shelf. And many times, and I've heard people say this, people will just say, I read the book. They were lucky or that will never happen to me. But yours, because of both the reflection and the questions, I think it allows growth in the moment. It plants a seed. And when that happens, it makes a difference in what the reader takes away. So it's more, 
of a learning or a self-help book, but in the form of a memoir. Was that what you were hoping to do and, and yes. are you receiving similar feedback from your readers? I am. I am. I've been gratified in that regard. Yeah, that was my, my hope that uh, people could use this as a springboard to maybe think about their own lives and, uh, uh, and if they felt so called to, to make changes. Because in my own case, uh, you know, the story that I wrote is about uh, changes uh, that took place over the course of my life from, you know, growing up as a kid in the Midwest with traditional values to uh, uh, making life changes that uh, reflected more of my soul's yearnings than uh, I started off uh, thinking were important. And I know that even at the age of five, because in the, in the next paragraph after the one about the glove, <laughs> you had stated that you had an experience in the wood. Do you remember that when you were connected with the light that encircled the apple tree in front of you and you felt, I, I'm sure that you remember this and, and it's something that you would remember your entire life, the, the connectedness to all of everything. I, I did. You know, again, I grew up in post-war, you know, during the war in Pittsburgh. My dad was in the steel business and uh, we lived in Pittsburgh and Gary in Pittsburgh. And uh, uh, so here I'm wandering around. Uh, and I went up the hill to a place that was like a, uh, a small farm at the end of our street, and there was an apple tree that I saw. And at the moment that I went onto the property, I just felt and saw like an aura around that tree that uh, kind of connected with me. And I really felt uh, connected in a way to a bigger something. I didn't know what it was. Uh, it, it really touched me. And... Uh, I really didn't have an experience like that again until I was much, much uh, older. But it gave me a glimpse of, you know, how we're part of a much bigger picture than we think. Yeah, I believe that. I believe that we're connected to people and, and people and things, uh, not things. I shouldn't say that because everything has energy. So, you know, trees and plants and, and all of this. And, and I know at one point I was with someone in a nursery quite a few years ago, and she wanted to know which boxwood to buy. And she said, I don't know which one to get. Look, they all look alike. And I said, no, they don't. And she says, um, which one should I get? And I said, get the pink one. And I was busy doing my own thing. And she kind of stood there for a minute. And she looked at me. She said, gee, it's boxwood. They're all green. None of them are pink. And I said, oh, I'm sorry. Mm. Okay, it's that one over there. And she goes, why do you think mm. it's pink? And I said, because I see the pink around it. So I do sometimes see aura around different things or even clients when they come in. You can tell. Sure. Sadly, you can tell sure. when someone comes in and you know they're going to pass, and, and other times you know when, when they're going to be okay. But, yeah, um, that had to be, as a five-year-old, didn't you find that kind of odd? Oh, definitely. Definitely. It's the kind of stuff <laughs> that, uh, you know, it's hard to share it with anybody, and I didn't at the time. I did not share that with anybody. Yeah, I can see that. You know, if you went home and told your parents that, I'm sure they would have thought, okay, it's time to call the men in the white coats. <laughs> sure, sure. It wasn't, right. a, yeah, it wasn't a time when anybody would have believed you, right? It was like imaginary friends. You don't have any when actually children do. <laughs> oh, right, right. No, you're, you're right. Yeah. Um, and then a few years later, you experienced the loss of your mom at the age of eight, which is not just 
unfair but totally horrific, especially where you were the one to find her. So I am both sorry for your loss and the horror you experienced, particularly at such a young age. How do you think that affected the way you thought about life and your own life journey, especially where you were so young? Well, uh, I I didn't have uh, a lot of uh, maternal uh, care after that point, and uh, uh, so I became uh, somewhat self-sufficient at an early age, but but also lacking uh, things that uh, I didn't really realize what that all was until many years later when I got involved in psychology and uh, shamanism. Hmm. Yeah. And I imagine you wouldn't have thought too much about it at the time because you didn't have the experience to know. You weren't old enough to know the difference really at that point, but you said you did have anxiety attacks at a very young age, and that's something that no child should ever need to deal with. I mean, not ever. So I have two questions regarding that. First, do you think if Marianne, your stepmother, were more nurturing to you, you wouldn't have had those anxiety attacks? Uh, That's hard to say. You know, my, yeah. my, my mom died when I was eight. My dad remarried uh, uh, my stepmother, Marianne, when I was uh, 10. So I had a couple of years. We just had housekeepers. And uh, we never uh, talked about my mom's death. You know, it was kind of, the, again, the Midwestern, Midwestern values. You know, men don't talk about feelings, and at least in my family, mm-hmm. we didn't. And uh, so then we moved from Gary to Pittsburgh, and... Uh, uh, my dad uh, happened to be needing to travel a lot, so he was gone. We just moved, new place, he's gone a lot. And uh, for whatever reason, I started to really get uh, these anxiety attacks. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of embarrassed by it. I don't want to say anything, but, you know, it's just kind of overwhelming for a young kid. And uh, the thing that got me off of it uh you know, I, I had a younger brother, four years younger than, than I, and uh, I slept in the same bed with him for several weeks. It, it was kind of a comfort for me to do that. And uh, for whatever reason, the attacks stopped, and I didn't have them, you know, ever since. But uh, it was an indication for me at a young age. You know, you can think you're strong and this, that, and the other, but you can have stuff in the unconscious that can just overpower you. And... Uh, uh, you don't know when it's going to happen or when it's going to end, but I've learned since that there are things you can do to help uh, alleviate those anxieties and so forth. But as a 10-year-old, I did not know how to do that. No, I mean, you were finding ways to deal with that anxiety, but you were just a child. That's huge, you know, and even adults try to figure out what they need to do to make anxiety go away, and they can't make it go away as quickly as you did. I think you said it went away within like a month, and it, like you said, it never came back. So that, to me, is extremely amazing because, you were, again, you were a child. I, I think that's what was so awesome about the book, and, and I use that word in its original context. You know, it really puts you in awe to say, this, this person was 10 years old, and how did they figure this out? And somehow... I believe that you probably were guided. There was someone watching over you to help you with that because that's a tough thing. And you as a psychologist know that, that it's really hard to help people with depression and anxiety get through things quickly. 
Yeah, it, 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 it's true, and so I think there is a such a thing as a, a acts of grace and you know guidance and, and gifts. I, I did, as a young kid, spend a lot of time uh, by myself in nature, and I just think mm-hmm. there was uh, again you know a healing quality to that time that I spent. You know, I'd be in the woods or around creeks and water, and and I think that that uh, that helped me. Yeah, that's very grounding. I know when I am having, you know, my moments, (laughs) anxiety or whatever it is, especially this past year and a half, you know, you go outside and walk on the ground and just be outside and breathe and be in the sun, and it just makes you feel so much better, even though there's nothing else you can really do. Right, Yeah. right. Yep, and then that was at a time when there were other people around and you didn't have to wear masks or anything. So, but again, you were little, you know, and little kids shouldn't have to deal with how do I get rid of anxiety because it's something that can stay with them for the rest of their lives. And that's just, it's far too young at the age of 8, 10, 12 to, to be thinking about anxiety issues. And yet we see it all the time. So it's very, it's very hard to watch and I found your story amazing when you said it you know you got rid of it within a, a month and it never came back and so it stopped so quickly which is great for you while you were working on yourself and you were working toward goals you also it seemed to me were able to live in the moments to be present and respond to issues as they arose particularly in your career so we learned in the book that you are a masterful negotiator and worked with focus which is being present do you, did you need to learn that or work at that? Because it doesn't seem that way. It rather seems inherent that it was just a part of you. And if that's true, where do you think that came from? Um, I, you know, this question about nature, nurture, you know, what my DNA was uh, and, and my upbringing certainly my uh, uh, upbringing was, uh, and my I came from a stock of people that were, uh, you know, small town, uh, uh, you know, business people in the south, and and then uh, in the steel industry uh, uh, in the Midwest, and you know, kind of self-reliance, and you know, you take care of stuff, and and because I was on my own so much, I, I learned to, you know, uh, keep my own counsel and uh, uh, make decisions. And not to say I didn't, you know, consult with others, but I so I was more self-reliant perhaps than a lot of people. And I spent some summers just hitchhiking around the country and down into Mexico uh, on my own and uh, seeing slices of life that I otherwise wouldn't. So I think I had some life experiences, T, that uh, helped me in becoming uh more uh self reliant in the uh and perhaps even competent in in the world. So I think I had some some luck and uh and maybe I had some DNA that uh, helped me as well. I think that everything that happened at such a young age and you're going out because when you read your book it's you know, I'm I'm thinking to myself, wow he had to grow up fast. He had to do a lot of things early on. He had to learn a lot early on. And your trips 
where you went hitchhiking across the country and everything. That's not something anybody would tell anybody to do today or even 20 years ago or maybe even 40 years ago. You know, don't, don't do that. You're going to get killed or whatever. But you seem to be a real adventurer. And you took the risks, but you took the risks knowing that or maybe with the confidence that they really weren't risks for you. Is that fair to say? At the time, I didn't feel that they were. You know, I could look back at them and say, "Gee, are you nuts?" You know, to myself, because <laughs> I, you know, I ended up being in cars with some crazy people. Uh, yeah. And you know, when you're in a car, it's hard, it's hard to get out. But uh, yeah. uh, at the time, I didn't. You know, you don't know what you don't know. And uh, uh, true. I, 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 you know, I, I write a postcard to my folks. Uh, you know, I'm into. Topeka, Kansas, doing fine, uh, working uh, some jobs. Uh, you know, we're cleaning up after a tornado in Marysville, Kansas, and I'm, I'm heading west. Uh, <laughs> that would be it. And they wouldn't hear from me again for, you know, a week or ten days. And, you know, I think of my kids and the way they're raising their kids. It's, it was a different world that I was in than, than many people are in today. Yes. Oh, absolutely, because now people are – Text me. Tell me where you are. I want to know what's happening, you know, <laughs> and every single minute. So, yeah, you were just like, yeah, I'll reach out to you again maybe in 10 days, whatever, you know, and they probably thought, oh, okay, we'll hear from him soon. And they probably yeah, have right, the confidence right. that you were going to be okay too, you know. <laughs> yeah, right, right. It's so funny because there aren't that many years difference, you know. It's like, wow, look at how the world has changed in such a short amount of time. But I also think that you used your intuition a lot. I mean, you had to even – you might not have known it at the time, but I'm sure you do now, that there was a lot of intuitive thinking in, in what you were doing and where you were going. And even when you were uh, with your son uh, fishing and taking the boats from island to island to get back, I know there was one place where you got caught up and waited for him for hours, but you used your intuition in that instance as well because you knew intuitively, I believe, that he was okay and he was going to show up. So that's something that you probably just have within you, yes? Yeah, uh, that particular time we were in the in the bush in Canada, you know, hundred, you know, I mean, really far away from people, and uh, I got I had a, a compass that wasn't working right because it wasn't, you know, the, the iron in the uh, surrounding stuff was kind of skewing it, and I, I went the wrong direction and uh, got us. Last, I thought I was on an, uh, another lake, but I got across a peninsula, and uh, so we were trying to find the, the next boat to get, you know, because we had portage on a lot of different places, and uh, there were a lot of forest fires going on around then, and I, uh, you know, was concerned that a fire would, you know, kind of sweep over where we were, and uh, there's nothing you can do because even if you get in the water, the superheated air will, you know, kind of you, you can't breathe. So I was concerned sure. about all those things, and as the, you know, as the minutes went into hours, and it, you know, went from light to dark, I was getting concerned. But then there's part of me, you know, I, I had water. I knew my son had water around him, and uh, uh, it, it didn't get to the point T where, you know, if it would have been a 24 hours, or you know, then I would have tried to figure out what what to do. Should I try to find him, or wait, or would somebody uh, eventually come looking for us? So. Uh, but in the moment, I 
he had a certain faith that things were going to work out. And sure enough, uh, you know, around dusk, uh, I heard this putt, 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 putt. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Mike, my son, who was, like, 16 years old, uh, came and uh, took me. Uh, we, we went back to uh, where we started, and we realized that, you know, this is the boat we left off, and then we'd gone across the peninsula. But then, uh, now it's dark, I started off exactly the same way that I'd gone before, stupid me. And my son said, Dad, I don't think that's the way. I think it's this way. And so it was a coming-of-age moment for both of us, uh, me letting go, you know, my need to be the dad and, you know, make all the calls, and my son finding that he could talk to his dad and uh, give him a uh, an insight and a direction uh, that was right, and his dad took it. So it was a good, it was a good trip for many ways. But that was a important part that uh, stayed with me and, and with him as well. It's interesting because in in many ways the everything that you do you can look back on and say there was a lesson to be learned there, there was growth there, and that certainly was one of those times. The fact that you recognize it, and I'm sure your son does as well, is is really good because that I think helps us to move forward and to see things in a way that's different, you know, than other ways. Yeah. Um, I mean, everything is kind of in, in the perspective of, you know, and when we look at things in, in a different perspective, then we can see things that we never thought we would have seen before. So, you know, your life, though, you started out so adventurous, doing all these sometimes wild and crazy things that I'm sure a mom would say was wild and crazy. <laughs> and, um, yep. and then you, you, know, you went to school, you graduated, and you became a very successful businessman. And then I believe it was when you were in your 40s, like 42 or 43, yep. that you decided you wanted to go back to school to be a psychologist, so yep. tell us about that, because it's very interesting, and I certainly can't tell it in a way that it's going to do it justice. So you go ahead and tell us about your journey to become a psychologist and why, why it was so important to do that. Well, part of, up until then, part of my life was, uh, you know, I, as you noted, I had those imaginal things happening, you know, at the water, and uh, uh, I thought that my imagination and uh, what I called my uh, search for spirituality and meaning uh, would not serve me well in the world that I grew up in and that I thought I was going to, you know, grow up into, uh, you know, being a provider and, you know, working in a company for 50 years and having a wife and family and retiring and, you know, playing some golf maybe or something like that. So that was kind of the life that I thought was scripted by fate for me. And there wasn't a whole lot of room for daydreaming in that. So I went to school in uh, metallurgical engineering, uh, thinking it would help burn out those tendencies. And uh, so I spent part of my life just trying to achieve and, you know, succeed and do well. Uh, And didn't pay attention to that other part of me that was yearning for something else. Well, in my 40s, that part that was yearning, you know, kept, uh, speaking to me, and I, I thought, well, you know, I can still go back to graduate school uh, in psychology and still keep doing my, you know, business roles, uh, and that's what I did. I went back to get a degree in clinical psychology. It took me eight years. 
after that, I, uh, you know, went to school for five years to you know, become a Jungian analyst. And after that, I did, uh, uh, you know, a lot of shamanic uh, training and teaching. And uh, so my life just evolved from this place in my mid-40s where I was giving voice and actuating, you know, parts of me that had not been expressed before. I was fortunate in that I had, uh, you know, a business base to go back on, and I was still able to to manage what I needed to manage. And, and, and uh, unlike some people, you just can't give up your day job. Uh, but I was right. fortunate in that I was able to, uh, uh, you know, explore these other uh, worlds and uh, and make changes, uh, you know, gradually over the 81 years that I've lived. And you say it like it's like, yeah, I did this, I did that. These are huge, huge accomplishments. <laughs> These are not little things. I mean, to to go for, to earn a, a PhD, to go on to learn shamanism and become a shamanistic healer, if that's what you call yourself, I'm not sure, um, to be able to do all those things while at the same time, let's not forget about the um, Qigong and the uh, judo um, and all, karate and all the things that you, you took to keep your life in balance. You really, throughout your entire life, were looking at balance in a big picture way. Is that correct to say? I mean, I think that's what I felt from it. It, it, it is. Uh, uh, so the good thing is, you know, I was able to do a lot of stuff. So I was in training and have been in most of my life. But uh, the the negative of that is, you know, I'm doing a lot, but I'm, I'm not necessarily being, you know, that tension mm-hmm. as much as I might have been. Mm-hmm. But. You know, again, I did what I did, and I've moved towards more being and taking time for that. Uh, and, you know, I, yes, it's, by some criteria, I accomplished a lot, but there's a price to pay, T. And, uh, yeah. uh, you know, you're not as available to other things and other people that you would have been had you not been in training all the time. And I'm I'm aware of that, and I've tried to, uh, uh, where I can, uh, you know, rectify that. But uh, that's that's that balancing that you were referring to. Yeah, yeah, and I think you saw that big picture, and we're striving toward that with everything that you were doing. And it just—it's fascinating. The story is absolutely fascinating to to see where you came from, what you became, and how you evolved after what you became. Now, of course, everything is about perspective. And one thing, you know, when we our perspective can be different from another person's perspective. And sometimes that's what causes an argument when the perspectives are different and you can't see the other person's side of things. So it's always good to put your place in your, yourself in the other person's place and try to see their, their side. That's, that's kind of how I like to look at things and, and deal with things. But the one thing yes. you learned along the way is playing to win versus playing not to lose. Now this to me it was very profound. Those are two distinctly different thoughts, and it is very transformative once you get it. It's a choice that you make, and I liked that a lot because there is a difference, and it is a huge choice and makes a big difference in life. So would you tell us how that came about for you 
and how your life changed because of that understanding. Well, I, I played a lot of sports in my life, and uh, uh, I like to compete in you know a variety of things. And one time in a tennis tournament, my partner and I were in a doubles uh, in the finals, and we were in the uh, third. Uh, we'd won uh, 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 two sets, I believe, and we were ahead in the third. Uh, Five two, uh, no wheat. Uh, we split. We we each had won a set, as I recall. But the, the point is, we were ahead in the third set. Uh, uh, five two. We were serving. My partner was serving at forty love uh, against the other. So if if you're as close to winning, it's hard to to imagine how you can blow that. But we did, mm. and uh, so uh, uh, we lost that game. So now it's five three, and uh, instead of just playing like we did, uh, kind of uh, unconsciously we, you know, tried not to lose, and so we're we're not tentative. You know, we're not hitting out like we did, and we lost the match, and uh, uh, it was a great. I mean, I've, you see that in the sports news all the time, teams doing that. But to experience it yeah. like that was very vivid and raw, and it was a lesson that uh, I think both my partner and I learned from, and uh, uh, that kind of thing didn't happen to us again. So <laughs> that was a good uh, yeah. lesson. And the point, point is, you know, it's not over till it's over. You just keep hanging in there, and a good lesson for life is hang in there, hang in there, and hang in there, and don't give up because uh, stuff can happen that you can't imagine. And I've had other things where I've been, I've been in the same, the opposite side of that, and just by hanging in there, you know, sometimes you can snatch a victory from the, uh, jaws of defeat, as opposed to in this case, we uh, smashed defeat from the jaws of victory. Yeah, and and that happens in different aspects of life too. It can be something as silly as you know, um, gosh, I don't know. You know, you just wait things out, and you just say, okay, now I just want to break even. You know, whatever it is that you're doing, even if it's a, a sales thing. You know, uh, right now you just have to break even because we're not going to make any money, but we don't want to lose. Instead of keeping up the fight and knowing that you can continually, you know, go for that and, and you will get more. I mean, I see people sometimes they'll say, oh, we're going to lose on this deal. And then the next thing you know, they've made $20,000. It's like, see, you didn't lose because you didn't lose that faith. So there is a yes. faith to be had in that. But it's funny how the perspective can, can shift just because of one thing that casts a shadow of a doubt. And that's a shame because if you do hold strong, usually things will work out the way that you would like them to or better. Do you find that to be true? Yeah, hey, yes, yes. Hanging, you know, there's a real art to knowing when to uh, cut your losses and move on mm-hmm. and when to give a situation all that it really deserves and requires. Uh, I mean, sometimes people stay in, you know, miserable situations maybe too long, but sometimes they leave too early. And, uh Mm. Uh, business relationships, whatever, and and uh, it's 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 hard to know, but to, to be aware that there are choices in, in in that, I think, is important. Yeah, absolutely. 
So you've gone through all of this, and we're up to the point where, okay, you're, uh, you're now a psychologist and working with that, working with clients and doing all that you do. But now we have the chapter on the Jaguar and your journey into shamanism. And there's so much there. There's so much there. I just don't even know where to begin. So I'm just going to say, take it away, Carl, and tell us about that. There's so much in it. It's so fascinating to read. But I was like, I don't even know where to begin with this because I'll just go on forever. And this show's only an hour. (laughs) Well, uh, as a kid, I, I, I read, you know, adventure stories and stories about Native Americans and trappers in the American West, and had a certain fascination with those lifestyles, just their spiritual traditions and so forth. As a as a young adult, I uh, read some of Castaneda's books and Lynn Andrews' books and Hayamo Storm book, you know, uh, kind of shamanism and. Uh, medicine men and women and had a certain interest in that and fascination to it but I never thought I could really pick up stakes from my life and go apprentice with somebody with my responsibilities so I I just read about it thought about it but I didn't really practice it well but I had this latent interest in it and uh, uh, but and I did I did a few things but uh, formally I got involved when I was close to 60 my wife had Pat had given me a book by Alberto uh, Viardo, uh, Shaman Healer Sage, which I read and uh, started to feel called to train with him. And uh, I had some mystical experiences in a, down in the Caribbean when we were on vacation, which called me to then sign up for training with Alberto, which I did. And uh, I eventually uh, taught in his school and uh, spent a lot of time with shamans around the world and uh, uh, have spent a lot of time in South America and have spent countless hours as a shamanic uh, healer with, uh, as well as my Jungian analytic work and psychological work with, with a, a lot of uh, patients over the years. So I've been blessed with the ability to learn myself and to hopefully in cases uh, pass on what I've learned and, and, and help others on their life journey trying to navigate the things we're talking about. And some of the things in shamanism are just fascinating, and there are so many of them that I haven't read a lot of shaman books or a lot about shamanism, but I know a couple of people who are shamans and or profess to be. I don't really know if they are or not because of I've run into some people who have only read a couple of books and then they, they claim to be a shaman, which is sad. But in the work yes. that, that I do, which is, you know, um, energy therapy work, you see a lot of miracles happen, you know, and I know it's not me. I'm not the healer. I'm just the facilitator. But I know, yes. I know that the energy works. I know that you can facilitate and help someone to get well. And it's just a matter yes. of the concentration and the, the laser-like focus that you need to have. Um, and when I was reading about the stones and everything, I thought, oh, my goodness, I should have Carl come to my treatment room and look at it. There's stones everywhere. There's rocks everywhere. I love rocks. I've always liked rocks. You know, when Charlie Brown uh, used to get a rock at Halloween, I'd think, you know, I wouldn't mind getting a rock. <laughs> you know? Right, 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 right. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, I have them all over the place. You know, it's crazy. But, and my my 
singing bowls, which I play for their therapeutic for healing purposes, are, you know, quartz crystal, 99.9992% quartz crystal. So you're playing that quartz crystal and that vibration is what's healing people and people think it's the sound. But it's not because I have deaf people who come to me. They don't hear it. They just feel that vibration. And everything you does bet. have a vibration. And yes, yeah, it, does. it was really cool to read all of that. I really, really, I liked that part because, I don't know, it made it, it made it more valid. Here's a man who's done so much. He's been so successful. He's gone to school to be a psychologist. He's, he's met a lot of people. He's done shamanism. He's validating everything that I do. So I want to thank you personally for that. <laughs> You're most welcome. <laughs> <laughs> because even though I knew this stuff works, it's always I always like to be fascinated, you know? I like to I like it when someone calls me and says, Hey, I had numbness in my arm for like three months and today after I left you it's been gone for an hour or three and then two weeks later they call and say the same thing. You know, it's still gone. I don't need the constant update, but it's always nice to know that when you're coming from your heart and you're genuinely focused on that person and intending that healing for them, that it actually happens. Prayers are answered in faith. And yes, and, and when you hear just, that, that's a, a wonderful affirmation for the work that you do when your clients tell you that. Yeah, and it's just it's like, thank you, God. I know it's not me. I'm just the conduit. So I appreciate you allowing me to be an instrument to be used. And I don't know. It just it, That part of the book just really did something to me. And I did... I did also like it when you mentioned that shamans believe past, present, and future are all happening simultaneously. I believe that as well. Uh, uh, quantum mechanics speaks about that. So there is a field of science that's backing it up somewhat, if you will. And, you know, one of the first things I do when I place my hands over a person because I don't touch them is I give thanks in prayer and ask that the healing of the individuals actually take place across all time, space, dimension and reality for every incarnation of their soul's entity because it seems to me if we are in this incarnation and we're only a piece of our soul and all the other pieces of our soul are elsewhere they're connected in a big way and more than likely everything each of these parts of souls do affects all of the other pieces so why not work on you know all of them instead of just one work on everybody and have everybody's vibration go up higher and Absolutely. I don't know where sham. Okay. So where shamans believe that past, present, future are the happening at the same time. Are they, do they understand that the work that they're, I shouldn't say understand. They probably do know this, that the work they're doing is also helping every part of that soul as well as the rest of the planet. Cause let's face it, we're all connected, right? I think. Yes. Uh, the, uh, uh, thing that, uh, I experienced as a boy that you referred to with the apple tree where I got a sense that we're part of a larger picture where, you know, this bigger thing. Uh, as I did my mm-hmm. shamanic work, I had experiences that uh, reaffirmed that for me because shamanism is uh, kind of a practice of uh, the uh, uh, the percept, you know, your experiences and not necessarily, you know, the precept, you know, a lot of, Ideas, so you experience stuff, and it either works or it doesn't. And mm-hmm. in my shamanic experiences, uh, I've encountered uh, the place, which I called the place before creation. I called it the quiet because I encountered that on a journey where I feel it's the place before an idea, the form of the idea, before the uh, 
energization of an idea. It's pure potential. And uh, Mm -hmm. I've since experienced that that surrounds us all now, and it's the place that you as an energy worker, I and other people who are trying to, with respect, interact with that realm which spirit is omnipresent in and created, it's possible to cause things to happen in this reality because of the work we do in that energetic reality. And so uh, that's a lesson that I learned as to why we're connected to everything because this place of the quiet was before everything. Everything came from it. So it's in everything and everything is in it, which includes past, present, and future and all all things, including stones and the energies of them and your crystal bowls and you know plants and flowers mm-hmm. and animals. So all that's uh, a field of which we can work and of which we're a part, and it's all connected. And this idea uh, that you said before, if you can change your perceptions, that's a, a important thing. I think in, in most psychologies, and certainly in shamanism, uh, the idea is that you know your past uh, has certain factual things to it that are factual, but the way it lives within you and the way it affects you, you have some control over how you you know you choose to uh, keep that inside you and perceive it, and by changing the way it works within you, that can affect the way you do things in the present. But the other aspect of shamanism, which I think is powerful and also true of Jungian psychology, is that we all have a future in front of us. Some are more likely than others because of our DNA and because of the choices we've made in our life, but nothing's for sure. And if it's possible for us to hook into a future that's a little better than the one that we're currently on, that new connection can affect our current decisions. So a lot of the Mm -hmm. work of energy people and psychologists and shamans is to have our past live within us a little differently so our current decisions are different and our future more aligned with a future best in line with us and, as I said in my dedication, spirit. And that, too, will Mm -hmm. influence our current decisions. And then all we're left with is what do we do moment to moment? And uh, right. so my my shtick has been to help people make different, uh, in my other books and in this book somewhat too, other decisions in the moment that they otherwise might make because they are getting sourced from things other than their conscious ego mind. And that would include they're getting sourced from nature, from these realms that you and I are talking about now, uh, and from working with their unconscious. You talked about these parts of a person. I I can uh, agree with that. We all have many parts, some of which we're really not that aware of. And, I, and I'm suggesting in things that I write about and talk about and teach that uh, we can start to relate to those parts and unify them and gain in, energy and information from them. Some of them are friendly and some of them aren't. But they all, uh, like all relationships, uh, can benefit from communication. So that's uh, uh, some ways that I think the past, present, and the future are all connected, and uh, uh, it ties in, as you pointed out, uh, with 
quantum physics as well. Yes, and I liked the way that you spoke about um, uh, what you did. I hope I get this right. In one of the workshops, you, at the end of the workshop, you had people have, I guess, an equal amount of black and white stones and, and place them on the ground or throw them on the ground and see how they landed. And then they were allowed to change them if they didn't like the design. And if a person went over and changed you know, maybe exchanged, well, I like this black and this white over here, and somebody else said, oh, okay, I was going to do this, but now it looks different this way. It was an exercise in showing them how they could change their life because I believe they blew their intentions into the stones at that point. And and I have to go back and read that part all over again because it was just too interesting to me, and I thought to myself, I have to ask Carl if I can steal this because it's a really good exercise to do with people so they know they can change things. Yes, and and uh, that was one point that you know you you can have these stones which represent kind of your energy. You blow in your intention. You put it down there. You look at it and say, okay, this may be what is. Uh, what would I uh, need to move around to have it feel better? You know, for what might be. Uh, but so there was that aspect to the exercise. But the other aspect was. Uh, if we have all these stones that are now on the floor and uh, uh, you make your changes, uh, your changes are going to affect what other people are going to change. So, uh, right. so everything that you do has reverberations uh, in, in your loved ones, your family, and you have to be aware of that uh, and, and not be deterred from making your own changes, but be aware that other people are going to be affected and some are not going to like the changes that you're making. And uh, some mm. may try to sabotage them, and some may try to facilitate them, and some may try to copy them because they see you benefiting uh, uh, from the changes, and they would like to benefit as well. So it just is an example of how interdependent we all are in all these things, and just to be aware of it. Right, and to know that it, it as long as we're coming – from our heart and doing something that's good for everyone, we're part of the whole. If you do things that are good for the collective whole, then you are part of the collective whole, then you're on the right path. You're in alignment with what you're meant to do. But when you start to do things that are just for you alone and it's a greed factor, that's never going to work out. So it does have to be from your heart. There is something in your book that I'd, I'd like. There's a paragraph in your book that to me, kind of wrapped up a lot of everything that's in the book. And I found it to be a most important. So I'd like to read that if I may. May I? Please. Okay. It was uh, in Giving in Service to Others, the very last chapter in your book, the very last chapter, chapter 15. My giving back has included teaching and offering shamanic workshops, sharing beneficial energies that I have received through my shamanic work, writing about shamanic and Jungian techniques for healing and personal transformation, and supporting various charities that seek to improve people's lives. I know from experience that becoming aware of our stories is the first step toward changing them for the better, and I hope I can play some part in freeing others from constricting stories that have kept them from living fully and authentically. And I have to say, Carl, I really think that you, don't, you can lose the hope word. I think that you've done that. You've achieved that. Um, I think a lot of people have been affected by the things that you do and you say because you do come from your heart you are not coming from a place of ego. It's quite obvious in everything that you've done. And it, 
and you've made a huge impact, positive impact on the world. And I hope you know that. I think you do, but I hope that you know that and, and that the word hope is gone out of that because I'm sure, I'm quite sure that you've done that for many. So, you know, when we come from our hearts, that's just, to me, one of the most important things in living our lives. You have given in service to others a lot, and that is the final chapter in your book. So would you like to, to talk about that for a bit? Well, first, thank you for you know, saying what you said. Uh, uh, you know, I'm influenced by the saying I heard as a kid, you know, to whom much is given, much is expected. And uh, mm-hmm. I've, been, I've been blessed. I've, you know, I've been able to survive some health challenges, and uh, uh, I've been able to have some material success. And now uh, what do I want to do with my remaining time? And I, I'd, I'd like to kind of give, give it all back as much as I can, and particularly to those who, for whatever reason, haven't maybe been dealt the hand that I was dealt, uh, which was basically a hand of opportunity, and I uh, was able to do things that a lot of people, for no fault of their own, can't do. For example, if you grow up uh, in a uh, tough neighborhood, in a, uh, in a community, uh, uh, bad schools, uh, uh, you're not white, uh, it, it, it's mm-hmm. harder to succeed than uh, if you're in a different circumstance. So I, I wanted to, you know, have kids like that have a chance. So to that end, I have uh, scholarships for kids going to school in STEM, you know, from, uh, uh, you know, Hispanic and black uh, backgrounds, Native American backgrounds. So that's one of the things that we do. Uh, battered women. You know, there's many as a third of the women in the country are beat by their husbands. And uh, mm. uh, it, it takes a tremendous toll on them and their kids and family, so to try to give them a chance. Uh, there's a lot of vets that came back from, uh, you know, the wars. Uh, uh, PTSD, they're homeless, they have physical, psychological issues. I'm trying to help help them. Uh, there are people who, through no fault of their own, uh, are one paycheck away from losing a car, losing a, a house. Uh, yep. uh, so I'm trying to I'm trying to help those folks. And uh, uh, there's people around the world that uh, uh, are really poor. You know, so there's uh, villages in Peru that we help, and uh, in uh, Egypt and uh, in Africa. Uh, as well, so I'm trying. To, I'm trying to just uh, level the playing field a little with the resources that I have and the time that I have left, and uh, not just give money, but you know I, I've learned some things about how to, you know, manage things, and I suggest that to the charities we work with if if it seems appropriate, and sometimes they, mm-hmm. you know, take suggestions, sometimes they don't, but uh, overall. Uh, I feel called to do what I'm doing, and uh, it's very gratifying at this stage in my life to try to be of service in those ways. I think it's it's gratifying at any age for people to be in service because even if you can only do a little bit, every little bit counts. Every little bit helps someone else, and even if it's just a thank you or, you know, just to be kinder and to help your fellow man, we're all connected. We're all Absolutely. part of each other's vibration so if you hurt yourself 
you're hurting someone else. And if you hurt someone else, you're hurting yourself. Why do we do that to each other? You know, I think that being in service is one of the greatest things we can do, no matter what our situations are, to just help the other guy try to give him a leg up. That, that, was, that paragraph in your book was so important to me because it seemed to sum up so much of everything. And I just really, I thought, wow, okay, it took me to get you to page 255 <laughs> to find the paragraph in the book. I always try to find a paragraph in the book that kind of wraps everything up, and I really liked that one. So that's the one I took. <laughs> well, good. <laughs> it made sense to me. Yeah, it made sense to me. We're almost at the top of the hour. Do you have any final thoughts for our listeners, Carl? Well, uh, just echoing what you said, uh, it doesn't have to be grand big moves, uh, you know, to help others. Uh, one thing that I have found uh, uh, that I've tried to become over the years is a better listener. And just uh, it's a great gift to somebody if you can be a really good lif- listener, not just trying to fix them or, you know, have a, you know, tell them your situation, but really listen, 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 and then respond. That's a, that's a big gift. That is a huge gift. I oftentimes tell people, who's the most important person in the world right now? And they'll look at me and they'll say something like, oh, my husband or my kid. And I'll say, no, actually right now, for me, it's you because I'm with you right now. So I need to listen and pay attention to you. So you're the most important person in the world. But when you leave, all bets are off. Now you're not the most important person in the world because I have to move on to the next person who needs to be the most important. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> kind of makes sense. Um, Please tell our listeners how they can find out more about you and your work and where they can purchase your new book, Necktie and the Jaguar, as well as all of your other books. Well, my books are uh, uh, in some bookstores, uh, uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. My publisher of this book is uh, Chiron and uh, The Necktie and the Jaguar. And uh, uh, my other two books, uh, the publisher is Inner Traditions. And uh, my website is uh, carlgreer.com. Uh, and if you, you know, send in email addresses, we do have uh, – I, I write different things from time to time. And so we send out newsletters and blogs, and uh, uh, that's kind of where I am on the uh, social media. Okay. Well, that's great. And it is a fabulous book. I, I would encourage everyone to get this book because it's not only inspirational and enlightening, you're not going to feel like you're reading a self-help book. You're going to be reading the story of someone's life, which is fascinating. And it will, with the, with the questions and the reflections at the end of each chapter, it absolutely will bring you information from your own self that you need to move forward with your life. It is very thought-provoking. So I thank you so much, Carl, for joining us tonight. I really, really do. If you just hold on the line for a little bit while I do the outro so I can speak to you after the show, I would appreciate it. Can you do that? Yeah, thank I sure can. You. Thank you. Thank you, T. I enjoyed the, enjoyed oh, the show. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, listeners, we need you to spread the word. We know you enjoy what you hear on Energy Awareness Radio, so please share it with your friends. We live in a most challenging and constantly changing world, and that's why I have the guests that I do, to keep you apprised so you won't get lost in the dross of life. We need to stay aware so we can navigate easily and live the life we're meant to live, productively, healthfully, and purposefully. And this is where you find the tools to do that. So please send the link for this show to everybody you know and let them have the same opportunity that you just had so they can learn and grow and make the world a better place for all. For more information about me and my work or to schedule a remote energy therapy session of your choice, please visit my website, quantumwellness.org. 
Please also check out Soji Huggles Children's Foundation, where every dollar of every donation directly supports children in need. 100% will run solely by volunteers, and there are no salary stipends or compensations of any kind to anyone. We are extremely excited right now because we're working on a new initiative to help children with mental health issues. Only one in five children received treatment, and that was pre-COVID. Now the rates increase dramatically. So please be sure to go to SojiHuggles.org. You will find a link to sign a global citizenship pledge. The author of this pledge is Mark Lewis, who joined me on May 5th to discuss his book, Give a Damn. He offered to donate a dollar for every signature he receives during the month of June, which means we have one week left to raise as much money as we can at no cost to you. So please, you can help us help these children. All you need to do is sign the pledge. And, of course, if you would like to donate, you'll see the link to do that as well. At Soji Huggles, we are investing in a brighter tomorrow by giving them a better today. Thank you for taking time to visit our website. Please follow, follow us on Twitter at NRG Aware Radio and at Soji Huggles. And while you're in your social media accounts, please be sure to like us on Facebook, Soji Huggles Children's Foundation. I am your host, T. Love, here at Energy Awareness Radio, intending you and yours a most enjoyable week. Remember, living from your heart is quite easy. You need only give thanks to do so. Take care and stay well.